This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. I am guessing that many of our listeners have childhood memories about the topic of today's show. Tonka toys. These heavy-duty toy trucks have been an enduring part of the children's toy market for generations, known for their realistic appearance and metal construction. Tonka trucks are still sold today by Hasbro more than 70 years after they were invented in the western Twin Cities suburbs. A reader wanted to know how Tonka Toys got its start in the suburb of Mound. And joining me today is reporter Nick Williams, who wrote a story on the topic for Curious Minnesota. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. So Tonka Trucks, before we get into the history, what is the selling point of a Tonka truck versus other toy trucks? Why is this such a like persistent, enduring brand? What's their thing that makes them different? So in talking to a curator from The Strong, who is uh, runs the National Museum of Play and National Toy Hall of Fame, is that Tonka would just embed it in realism. Okay. They mimic the real life-like machinery down to the T. Mm-hmm. And that's what set them apart from everybody. It wasn't fantastical. It wasn't, you know, very animated. It was a miniature version of what you see every day in the real world, real world. Set the scene for us as far as like toy trends in the 40s. What are kids looking to play with in the 40s? <laughs> or what are they not looking to play with? What, what, are, what are sort of the, the shifting moods of the toy market back then? So shifting away from wood toys, so the wooden bat, the wooden boats, mm-hmm. dolls, marbles were created decades before that, right. but they starting to get boring a little bit. So kids are wanting something more hands-on to play with, a little more real, and th- we haven't gotten into space toys yet and robots. So okay. we're in this period between like the 40s and the, the 70s of this this period, like maybe 20 years where marbles are fading out, wood toys are fading out, space toys aren't here yet, mm-hmm. what's in the middle? Metal trucks. Okay. <laughs> real stuff. Real, but, you know, there's no WWE yet. There's, yeah, there's no, no wrestling toy. Yeah. Which is what toys became very fantastical later on. Correct. These were not fantastical toys no, or science no. fiction type toys. No. Or wrestling, as you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a sweet spot in the era of, of the toy industry that mm-hmm. Tonka found. So this whole story starts, we know it starts in the western suburbs, but it doesn't start as a toy company. So what's what's going on? Where does this all begin? So the story begins in 1946. Three men start a company called Mound Metalcraft, where they make uh, metal Tyrax and gardening tools. And so they're doing this in Mound. Uh, what, they just like open up a factory or something? Or Not yet. So they... Move into a, a former schoolhouse okay. that was used to make ammunition boxes during World War II. So it's like a retrofitted factory into this old schoolhouse. Correct. And they, we don't need a lot of ammunition boxes anymore, but we need. But we need other office stuff. space. We need production space. Right. Okay. And so, how do they get into the toy business? So there's also another Minnesota company called Streeter Industries. Mm-hmm. At the time, they later known for their retail display 
shelving. But Streeter uh, comes out with the design of a of a, a steam shovel and a crane. Okay. And together with Mountain Metalcraft, still Mountain Metalcraft, they put out some of these designs of these toys. Now, Mountain Metalcraft sees an opportunity in this because these toys are selling faster than their gardening tools and metal Tyrax. Yeah. So they abandon that whole business model altogether. Yeah. And move forward with the toy making. And I love in the, in the story you mentioned that they're basically using kind of recycled parts to put these things together. Recycled meat cans. <laughs> you think about that. And then uh, parts of the, the old ammunition boxes. Okay. It kind of gives you this idea of like, okay, we're going to move forward with this, but we're going to use what we have. We're not going to put all these resources into it right away. Mm-hmm. We're going to see if we have a good product. We use the weekend right. at a low cost. And boom, we have a product that works. Now let's start making them and expanding. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the company that we know, the name we know, gets created in 48. Where do they come up with, I mean, this is a dumb question. Where do they come (laughs) up with Tonka? Where did that name come up with? Based on Lake Minnetonka, which is right there in in Mount. So it was right there just inspired by their own surroundings. Wow. Okay. So then they formed the company, Tonka Toys. You know, there's so many toy companies. I don't know about back then. I'm sure there were lots of toys companies back then. They're a small firm. We know they broke through. We know that they uh, were successful. What was their pitch to, I mean, a lot of this is about marketing, right? So what's their pitch to to sort of get successful? How do they kind of reach beyond the noise? Their lane was pitching to young boys Mm -hmm. this masculine, durable toy that reflects this macho industry of construction. Okay. For boys, I think the jingle was, for boys who want lifelike toys that they can use too. Right. So their image or their idea was boys walking down the street, they see a digger, they see a crane, they see a steam shovel. They want to play with that huge machine. Mm-hmm. They can buy a miniature version of it. Right. And there's an ad that we embedded on the story, and people should go take a look at it. But it literally kind of shows these kids in a sandbox, and they're kind of like constructing stuff. And they're, I mean, what you, you sort of get the sense of why these trucks are unique, and, and that they can flip a, a sort of a, a lever, and then the dump truck and stuff kind of actually dumps everything. I mean, it, that, this stuff actually seems to work. Like, you could actually move earth or sand with it. Correct. You can dump work over here. You could shout out, hey, dump that over there like you're on the work site, mm-hmm. right? You could pick up a little batch of dirt in the sand lot and dump it over here and construct something with your right, own hands. Right. So were, they, were a lot of companies manufacturing t- metal trucks, metal toy trucks? Not at this level and not at this scale. Okay. I think by 55, 1955, they had invested in their own production facility uh, in Mound and around Mound, and they were producing at a rate that no other company was at this time. Okay, and this is being basically locally manufactured. Minnesota made. Okay. So you mentioned in the story that between 1952 and 1961, all the founders leave, which is sort of a, I don't know, a troubling side. <laughs> it could be if you were just to tell someone that on face value. What's, what's going on? Why did these people take off? I mean, it was for different reasons. For different reasons. So another state offered the founders money, you know, tax incentives, try to persuade them to move their to move Tonka toys to their state. I think I believe it was Tennessee, mm-hmm. and the board voted that down. And two of the founders disagreed with that so much that they left the company. Wow! 
And years later, uh, a third founder left because of health reasons. And okay. he was, I, I believe his name was, was Lynn, and he was the one who was a former um, automobile salesman in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, and he's in some of the, you know, when they are, it comes to like getting big, was kind of like the spokesperson, but he mm -hmm. left later. You know, you, you might hear that and think, uh-oh, you know, that's kind of the end of the story. But it actually is kind of the beginning of, the, of Tonka becoming a big brand. So they really start expanding in the 60s, right? Correct. Acquisitions. Uh, they partner with a distributor that makes them go nationwide mm -hmm. with, with their sales. Um, they're acquiring, um, I believe it's a grill company. You know, they're kind of trying to take over the metal business to consumer industry, trying to own that. And, and then they're just expanding. They're hiring more. Mm-hmm. They're becoming a bigger company. Right. Again, we talk about people, sort of what they think about when they think of a Tonka truck. It's around this time that they create what becomes their signature truck. So what is that? That is the mighty Tonka dump truck. I think 1965 is when it okay. uh, first came Describe out. this for us. What what are Because people might be picturing something. What What is this thing? So if you could picture a 9-pound, 10-pound metal dump truck with mm -hmm. like 4-inch, four 4.5-inch four rubber tires. Yeah. It looks a bit like those trucks on the Iron Range that take all the material from the excavators, like those big, they're just like oversized dump trucks, essentially. It's yellow. Yellow, you know, black stripes. Mm -hmm. You know, you could lift that bay to dump right. the dirt it actually or sand. Dumped. It actually dumped, yeah. the, you know, whatever was inside of it. And I think one of their most famous early commercials, once, you know, color TVs came out, was that elephant who they had put its foot on the the back of that trunk and put its weight on it and that it didn't break. Oh, okay. So they're really, again, sort of back to what we began with. I mean, the, the sort of solid nature of this is a big selling point because they're a bit more, what, expensive than normal toys? They are more expensive and that's what their selling point is. more durable. You know, okay. most toys would break within the first couple of weeks. Yeah. But this toy could last years. Right. And that's why parents were willing to invest in it because they knew they had a toy for their child that was going to last for a long time. Right. Because kids, who knows what they're going to do with these things. And they're going to, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to what some of the people in the comments told us what they were doing with them. Normal toys <laughs> might break down from, from some of that activity. So, okay, the dump truck comes out. Again, this is being locally manufactured. But then by the 80s, so that's 65 or so, the dump truck comes out. But then by the 80s, now we're talking about moving some of this manufacturing out of Minnesota. So what happens there? Right. They opened a facility in Juarez, Mexico. They had another facility in Texas. And I'm just going to speculate, you know, cheaper labor costs to move it down there. And they start to wind down their Minnesota facility by 83. Okay. And then uh, this is now part of Hasbro. So when did that all happen? 1991, Hasbro officially acquires Tonka Toys. Meaning Tonka it has Port. basically no more Minnesota elements to it. In terms of production or a, an office here, correct. That's all moved, I believe, to Hasbro's Rhode Island headquarters now. Yeah. So so this story, I mean, it kind of struck a chord with people. Uh, you know, if you think about the era we're talking about, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of people alive today would have been kids around that time. What were some of the feedback that you received from people? 
that they remember going on field trips to the old Tonka Toys factory. That sounds like an exciting field trip. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean... We actually have a picture of one of those on the story, but yeah. Right, and you go there and you see how, you see the assembly line, you see how these toys are made. Um, people playing with them in a sandbox or in a schoolyard. There were some people, it was either on Facebook or somewhere else that talked about like literally riding on top of these things going down a driveway, which if you think about like, you know, that elephant ad, they're really, I mean, that's the kind of abuse that (laughs) you'd have to have a serious toy to handle that kind of thing. Right. I think skateboards maybe are running by this time in the the 70s, but, you know, for those who didn't have a skateboard or a scooter. Right. And you weren't big enough to have like a two-wheel bike, maybe this was your... Yeah, <laughs> your ride of choice, your <laughs> your your adventure, right? Extreme sport for something you know to play in the driveway with. Yeah, and we did hear from a reader who mentioned that her father was involved in the manufacturing process, and we were able to get in touch with her and sort of get some of her uh, memories about this. I realized after our interview that the person who reached out was actually the daughter of Tonka Toys co-founder, Al Tesh. So what you hear next is a mashup of my phone conversations with Tesh's daughter, Vanita Kronk, and her brother, Clint Tesh. So I wound up being able to go to grade school, kindergarten through second grade at Mound. The school was right across the street from the factory. So I rode to work every day with Dad, and some days my days got really long (laughs) and um, I spent a lot of time actually in the factory. Dad made the dies for the toys. Okay. And uh, the one I know specifically about is the first dump truck. And I remember him telling me about this and talking about it. He was sitting in his doodling in his office one day trying to come up with the right plan. And he looked out the window and there was a dump truck. So we went (laughs) That was kind of his model for for how he came up with the first dump truck. And when he was making these dies, what what was what was that process? I mean, it's I mean, because he's shaping metal here, right? Or was he more yeah, designing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The toys were die cast, like the hoods, the 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 covers, the pieces, different pieces were cast using the die to make the. Now that's something Kurt could tell you better than I can. He was a good tool and die maker because he was pretty important, pretty important person during World War II, working at Northern Pump and Honeywell. You know, they started this right after the war, and you couldn't get steel, so a lot of people don't know. But the, all the original toys, they went to Detroit at that time when building cars, a, a door was like punched out in one big thing, mm-hmm. so there was big chunks, big chunks punched out where the windows go. Well, that was scrap, so those pieces they punched out as car window doors is what most original toys were made out of. Wow. That's interesting. My dad would often work there, stay there 24 hours a day. So after, and kindergarten back in those days was all day. And then after school, I'd have to go over to the plant. And at first when we did that, I'd be wandering around, but then I, then I got accused of bothering the help too much. So I'd have to sit in his office and I can remember that office very clearly and just absolutely hated it. Mm. I had to sit there until my mom would bring supper over and we would all eat supper there. And then we'd go home with her. Thank you to Vanita and Clint for sharing those memories with us here on the podcast. All right. Well, Nick, I just think this is such a fascinating topic. Do you, did you sort of grow up hearing about Tonka trucks, Tonka tro- toys? Is this a brand that you remember well? Or did I, you have one? I don't remember. I'm sure I did at some point in my life. But I'm 
an 80s kid mm-hmm. and i think in this era you know toys have come such a long way there's a from lot of toys back by then. then yeah um you know action figures gi joes hot wheels right nintendo you know video games were coming into play so you know tonka yeah. had you think they dominated the metal truck industry for 30 years something yeah. like that yeah. and probably still dominating it but other toys have come along by then yeah um and, yeah, and I didn't have one, but I do know this brand, and I remember hearing. I remember this the brand, brand name, though. Yeah, and I don't know where I must have seen it. You know, maybe we're kids watching TV, and you just remember things, you know, like subconsciously. Maybe that was it. But, but I think any you know, kid that you know, even if you didn't have it at home, at school, or maybe your daycare, mm-hmm. you know, or some kid in the neighborhood, somebody had it. Yeah, it was somewhere. Yeah, and like. I, when we were working on this, I just looked on Target to see, you know, because I was like, yeah, they must be made of plastic now. And there is a lot of plastic involved in them, but there's still metal at their core. That's the still the selling point of these things, which I think is kind of interesting. Right. right. <laughs> but the durability, that's why it's still around today. Yeah. Well, Nick, thanks so much. This is uh, such a fascinating history. And uh, thanks for researching it for us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today's show. Thanks, as always, to Matt Gilmer for editing this podcast. We will be taking a brief summer vacation for a couple weeks, but have a bunch of good shows in store for the coming months. Do you have feedback for us or a question you'd like to see us answer at Curious Minnesota? Send us a note at curious at startribune.com. And as always, if you are enjoying this show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.